And I've honestly found that for some athletes, when they can't be focusing so much on the training and the physical part of their athleticism, it's a great time to kind of shift the paradigm a little bit and give their proactive driven minds something else to think about. So let's really take a deeper dive into the nutrition. Let's see, because they can control that. That's right. something that they can pour their energy into and be productive and proactive with. This is Erin Sparrow, sport nutritionist from Mind of the Athlete, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Today we're at... uh Mind of the Athlete in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and my first interview of the day is with Erin Sparrow. She's the sports nutritionist at Mind of the Athlete, and today we're going to talk about eating to perform and also eating to heal. Um, but let's just get a little background on yourself to start off with, Erin. Right. Um, so what kind of sports did you play growing up, and what kind of led you down the, the nutritional path? Well, I grew up chasing after my older brother, so Rick recreationally I played every sport with him but like more structured sport I played soccer I ran track but predominantly I was a swimmer okay if I spent most of my time in the water do you think that helped translate do you think playing multiple sports helped you become a better athlete as a swimmer or in any other or vice versa I've never really given it a lot of thought to be honest with you I think that the track the running and the swimming played really well together it was just fun Right. I just I didn't put right. that much thought in it to be honest with you. I just had fun. And I know you focused on swimming, right? Like mm-hmm. later in your career. Mm-hmm. Um, was it just because you were the best at swimming? Like what stuck out about swimming for you? You know, what? I just I really liked it, and I grew up in Arizona, so there it's a comfortable sport yeah, in it's the hot. desert yeah. heat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that was a big part of it, and it was also a community thing. So I had a lot of really great friends, and there was a lot of support, and I was I did well at it. So it. That was helps. a confidence builder. Yeah. yeah you kind I think sometimes you tend to narrow into the thing that you physiologically perform the best at because it just feels good. Right. Can you talk about how you, you play, you, you swam in college, right? No, I did not swim college. Oh, you didn't I swam, swim swam masters. College. After I graduated high school, I swam masters, okay. but I did not swim college. Can you explain what college. that is? I'm not it's familiar. It's just after you've kind of, uh, if you don't swim college, because I went to the University of Arizona and they turn out Olympic level swimmers and I was a good swimmer, but I wasn't not quite that there. good. Right. Yeah. So I swam masters and that's just an extra like kind of swim team league for people who've um, aged out of the other more traditional leagues. And you can swim masters from age 18, 19 until 90 if you want Oh, to. wow. Okay. Yeah. It's that's a great cool. program. A lot of triathletes use it for cross training. All right. Um, did you ever suffer from any injuries uh, while you were swimming or in any other, other sports? I actually had to stop running um, when I was a sophomore in high school because I had to have knee surgery. What was the knee injury? I had um, lateral ligament releases done on both of my knees. What is that? Um, it's just a tendon, um, a ligament that they had to cut in the, both of my knees because I was told that I grew too fast. Okay. So my my kneecaps were being pulled up and riding lateral and so they were grinding on my knee my uh, knee joint. Sounds yeah, pretty so uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't an injury, it was more of a growth related okay. problem. So I was told no more running. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't listen very well though cuz I still run. <laughs> <laughs> I guess like most athletes. Yeah. <laughs> but, um so prior to like how did you get into nutrition? Um 
was it something that you're always interested in, even as a younger athlete, or is it something that kind of evolved when you started going back to school and trying to figure out what you wanted to do with your life? You know what, to be honest with you, it is something that always kind of fascinated me. Um, and when I was training through swimming, we were always put on these different diets and different programs and different plans. And I kind of started to get really curious about what it was, why different plans worked better for different times in, ter- in your training. And I was curious about that. So I followed that up at the university and studied that. All right. I started out poli sci, but that didn't work out so well. No, it wasn't as interesting. Or no, no. no. <laughs> um, okay. So was is there anything that you wish that you knew back then that you know now as a, a sports nutritionist in terms of athletic performance? In terms of athletic performance, um, you know what, if I looked back and I really wanted to evaluate that question, I think what would be more impactful was really understanding how food benefits your overall health. I think growing up, and I see it still in a lot of women I work with and male athletes that I work with, we tend to associate food with our weight. And we don't really take the time to stop and think about what that food does for us and our overall health and our overall performance. And I think going back, if I could talk to my younger self, I would start to encourage her and to understand better about how much the foods that you consume support your health. It's not just about your weight and your right. appearance. It really is I more about your health. That's something that we're going to get to a little later, too. Awesome. Um, so you went to the University of Arizona. Mm-hmm. And so, like, what was the education like there? Like, how like did you do a lot of clinical-type stuff and work with other sports nutritionists? And did you always know that you wanted to be a sports nutritionist? Or was it question. more you know, all encompassing, you know, it was all encompassing. We had some sports specific training and I went into the program because I was fascinated by sport nutrition. Okay. But I also, the university of Arizona has this fantastic program. Um, they're doing pretty good in baseball right now too. They are, aren't they? Yeah. Like bat cats. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but they, they have this great program there at the university of Arizona medical center, um, the center for integrative medicine. And so that kind of sparked some of my interest in um, integrative nutrition and how nutrition plays into disease as well. So I'd done a lot of study in that. The reason I started was sports, but my interest expanded once I got into the program. And we did definitely do, we did training tables for the athletes and things like that. What was like the most memorable experience you had from your education at uh, Arizona? Wow. You know, honestly, <laughs> I think bucking the system a little bit. <laughs> Whoa, how, how so? Um, I can remember I had an RD. This was back in the time when the American Heart Association was encouraging the lower fat diets. Right. But yeah, I doc- remember that phase. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I was right on the cusp of that changing. Okay. But some of the, the RD PhDs that were teaching in the program were still very low fat, no fat. And um, I can remember intentionally adding um, salmon to a heart disease patient's meal plan. Right. Knowing from having read some of Dr. Weil's work and seeing some of the research coming out of the Center for Integrative Medicine that there was real benefits to the omega-3s from fish and people's diets and reducing heart disease. And in terms of brain health, too, that we are starting to know now, too. Totally. So... And so just to kind of be a little bit of a rebel, I put salmon on the heart disease patient's meal plan that this, I knew this RD was expecting it to be a low fat, no fat plan or low fat, not no fat. And, um, so I totally got marked down. Oh, for that? (laughs) I did. I did because it was, it added 
fat to the total percentages right. of the meal plan. And she marked me down and I went in and I debated her and I brought her the information. And, and what did she say? She didn't give me the points. She wasn't super happy with me. Because <laughs> you were disobeying her yeah. her teachings, I guess? Yeah. So what was the idea behind that low-fat diet that everyone was pushing back, I don't know, however many years ago? The idea behind it was we had in our in the research, um, the, peop- the American Heart Association had kind of aligned themselves with, they had decided that fats were what was driving cholesterol levels up, saturated fats, um, or driving up cholesterol right. levels. And so then they recommended a dietary reduction in total fats in order to reduce cholesterol. Cholesterol for heart mm-hmm. health. For heart health, okay. yes. And now we're starting to understand, well, the American Heart Association is totally backpedaled on that and we're understanding that was Just kind kidding. of a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Whoopsies. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, in all fairness, really, we've only studied nutrition in relation to human disease really since maybe like the 1950s like sincerely studied it not just cultural studies but sincerely studied it that's not even an entire generation really right at this point and you can't control the studies you can't tell somebody eat only this your entire life and let's see what happens right so it's It's not realistic it's you have to be very understanding with nutrition and nutrition science that it evolves quickly and our understanding is evolving quickly we don't know everything right now and we won't know everything right now it's going to take time right this is going to be evolving science it's going to be an interesting episode i could tell already (laughs) Um, okay so we kind of know what sparked your interest in sports nutrition Mm -hmm. so can you talk let's get into that kind of body image appearance Mm -hmm. um idea that we kind of mentioned before Um, how do you approach working with athletes who have challenges with with body image whether it's male or female Okay. Well, kind of trained to start to um, look for red flags with athletes and how they report to you and how they talk and how they present, you know, their food plans and things and and their relation. You listen for cues and how they relate to food and what their relationship with their food is like. And if I see red flags, to be honest with you, I have to bring in the the docs here, the psychologists here, because that's really their scope of practice. A lot of times that's a behavior issue. It's an emotion issue. What I can do, though, as a nutritionist and having grown up in that weight loss culture, too, and that those extremes, um, I can help them to start to have a better mental understanding of the benefits that foods bring to them. So often people come to me and they have fears of food. You know, I I can't tell you how many people I've had to talk off the ledge and encourage them to eat the egg yolks and encourage them to eat avocado. Hey, I've been there one before (laughs) with no no egg yolks, egg whites, yeah, all this stuff. Yeah, exactly. And talking them off of that ledge and getting them to feel more comfortable and to understand because we've been given so much negative information in the media. Media likes to scare us. And so much contradicting information Mm -hmm. too. Like Mm -hmm. you said, like before, like low fat, now it's People want to add more fat back into mm-hmm. the diet. It's all about finding the right balance. We tend to think in extremes. Right. What are the red flags that you're talking about when you, you talk to an athlete? Um, really reporting really, really restrictive consumptions. Like if they only eat very specific foods, like they've got a very short list of variety of foods that they eat. Right. That's one thing um, that I'll look for. And I also look for kind of a sense of anxiety about foods and what foods maybe they, they, they feel stressed to eat different foods, then I, I sent there. Then there's an emotional thing going on that I that's outside of my scope of practice, and I get the doctors to help with for sure. And also consumption: how much are they consuming? Are they consuming enough to match their body's physiologic needs for training and growth and repair? If they're not, and they're not 
open to the idea of consuming more if after I've educated them and helped them to understand the way the foods are benefiting them. Right. If they're still really highly resistant, then... That's yeah. where the sports psychology the doctors psychology come in. comes in, yeah. Interesting. Now, do you notice that you have more of these red flags that come from females versus males? Um, you know what? I think in the past it was more females, but it's definitely the number of males are, are increasing. Mm-hmm. In terms of what? Like, I'm just thinking, I'm a football guy. Okay. So I'm thinking you got a lineman who needs to gain 50 pounds. Mm-hmm. Like that was one of my favorite puzzles to solve when we did training tables was helping people gain because it's so outside the normal parameter. But anyways, go ahead. Well, let's get that. Let's get to that after okay. I guess this question. Mm-hmm. But you know, you got these athletic guys who need to put on fifty pounds of mm-hmm. thirty to fifty pounds of weight, and they're not going to look the way they looked before. Mm-hmm. You know, so I could I could see that you know males having that kind of issue too. Uh, is it harder for do you see that it's harder for males to lose weight versus gain weight or like fe- and females vice versa um i think it's easy for men to lose weight easier for men than women to lose weight typically just because of the hormone balances and um, the muscle density that men carry versus women right i find with my male athletes quite honestly the bigger challenge is gaining okay because especially depending on if they need to gain because their level of training and then the amount of food that they need to consume to just match their energy requirements right, for not, the level yeah, of training. Instead of, and yeah. then beyond that, consume enough. That's so like that a full-time job. Legitimately. <laughs> yeah. Like eating becomes your job. Yeah. It be- trying to get somebody, you know, that you have some people that would say, my gosh, I get to eat 4,000 calories in yeah, a day. Yeah, you're so lucky. Yeah. You're so lucky. And I'm like, you have no idea what these athletes have to go through to try yeah. and consume that. And the mental processing of when they, they just have to get these excess calories in. And that's not always as easy as you think. Yeah. How do you talk to those athletes to try to make that process easier in, in gaining weight? I think that there is a lot of empowerment in knowledge and athletes like to understand how their bodies work because their bodies are their tool that they utilize for performance. So the more an athlete understands how their body works and physiologically interacts with their food, they're better able to make those paradigm shifts and to adhere to the programs. So if I'm talking to a lineman who needs to gain and I say, okay, the gaining is going to benefit your performance in these ways, the ways that your strength and conditioning coaches and your coaches have outlined for you. And this is the way that the food is going to help you. This is how we're going to pace it throughout the day. And then you work with the athlete to make it work the best for their their schedule, their behaviors, their patterns. Right. Um, what were we What were we saying before that <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you another question? Um, the training table. Yeah, the training table. It? Yes. Um, okay. So can you talk about the training tables um, for the athletes? I think one of the most fun projects that I was given when I was studying nutrition and I was we did a sport nutrition focus at the university was we were given the task of designing a training table and I and it was the football players and I had so much fun designing the meal plans for the athletes that needed to gain so coming up with the 4,000 and 5,000 calorie meal plans it was actually really kind of fun but doing it in a way that was really healthy so that they were supporting their health at the same time a lot of people 
we'll tend to start to think, oh, well, just eat a bunch of donuts or just right. have extra ice cream. But when you're an athlete, you don't want to eat those refined carbohydrates and those kinds of foods because it's not going to really benefit your overall health in the long term. So con- making sure they were consuming in a way that supported their health. It was fun. It was a fun puzzle to solve. Can you give like an example of what one of the tables would look like for one of those linemen? Just in terms of like, yeah, not like McDonald's french fries, but <laughs> you know, you had this instead. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things back then things have changed so much in sport nutrition from back then to now so i now what i do is i give my athletes a really high calorie density shake um that they have their daily nutrition that usually adds up to around two to three thousand calories for the day and so their daily nutrition that so that's their their breakfast their snacks their lunch their dinner and then i give them this extra smoothie or shake that they need to try and finish throughout the day. So it's not like they're having to add that extra 2,000 calories all at once. Right. It's spread out throughout the day in addition to their daily meals. So their breakfasts... And not necessarily chewing either. It's a lot of chewing. It if is. <laughs> and for student athletes in particular, it's something they can carry with them to class. Right. So it's not like they have to, in their incredibly busy schedules, figure out a way to carve out another meal time right. because that's not really very realistic as busy as students are. And then you don't want to go into practice with a totally loaded gut either. So yeah. trying to plan around all that is challenging. But that smoothie, that shake has become really, really helpful. A staple. It's become a staple, yeah. What would you say you put in that smoothie? (laughs) That's trade secrets. Okay. I'm kidding. I'm (laughs) kidding. So it's a good ratio, but it's like a one-to-one ratio carbohydrate to protein. Okay. And then I add some extra fats to help with the calorie, um, increasing the calorie. So healthier fats. I'll use um, coconut oil, nut butters, avocado. I... I tailor the recipe to my client's taste as well. If I have an athlete who's like, I can't stand coconut or I can't eat nuts, then we play around with where we add the healthy fats. Or I can't eat dairy, then we play around with the protein source. Awesome. Before we get away from this body image uh, Mm -hmm. topic, you talked about muscle density before, and that's Mm -hmm. why it's easier for men to lose weight than women. Mm -hmm. I know... I've been in the CrossFit world for a while, and I work in kind of sports health, so I I hear women all the time say that they're afraid to mm-hmm. lift mm-hmm. or lift weights because they're going to get too big or whatever. Mm-hmm. So is is this body is or the muscle density thing? Because I've always heard or recently that like the more muscle you have the more fat you burn basically mm-hmm, absolutely it's so, a bigger engine right so when i try to explain to people that lifting is not going to make you bigger like mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. so is this a, a true statement and well so you're asking in regards to women like the muscle density in women right because we have some a lot of female athletes like oh i don't want to lift because oh, i'm going to be too big or something okay right for most women for us to lift to the point where we get big is takes considerable effort and we just don't have the same hormones that men have we don't have the testosterone we don't produce the types of hormones that our bodies really need right. to grow really large muscles so absolutely it's important for women to lift it's absolutely important for us to have an increase in our skeletal muscle density for, for athletes that kind of cross training benefits us um for performance and reducing injury as women in general it benefits our health tremendously because after a certain age you have to fight to maintain skeletal muscle you have to continually produce the stress on your body to keep that skeletal muscle and on bone your density body. too and bone density absolutely and then postural issues all those things right. that really benefit your health in the long term i deal with a lot of women um and have dealt with a lot of women in their mid-40s 
to mid-50s, and they're dealing with this loss in skeletal muscle mass, and that skeletal muscle mass is the engine that drives your metabolism. So you lose that skeletal muscle right. mass, your metabolism drops down, and then these women are fighting to lose weight, and they've got this increased body fat deposition and a decrease in skeletal muscle mass. One of the first things I tell my women when they start coming to see me um, is you need to be lifting. You need to be creating that stimulus to put down more skeletal muscle mass to increase your metabolism and to keep it there to benefit your health and your metabolism for the long term. And that way, when we go through our hormonal shifts later in life, you're right. better set up for a healthier body. See, ladies, listen to Erin. She says, to don't be afraid to lift. Oh, lift. <laughs> I do. I love it. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, okay. So are there certain types of food that are better for healing or and recovery? So I guess in terms of, you know, post-workout or post-competition recovery, mm -hmm. and then also healing from injuries too. Okay, so for post-competition recovery, you've got that anabolic window that you want to take advantage of. You've got an hour after your workout, your training, your competition, that your body is primed to improve and increase the um, storage of your muscle carbohydrate, the muscle glycogen, and you want to take advantage of that. So in your recovery, you want to make sure within that hour you're consuming some healthy protein, like a whey, branched-chain amino acids or whey-based protein. It doesn't have to be a branched-chain amino acid supplement, but a food that contains you know, okay. healthy branched-chain amino acids like whey, a whey-based protein does great. Um, so, so is that like milk or is that like chicken or... Chicken will steak. work too. It's got it. <laughs> if you want to eat steak in that hour after your workout, <laughs> yeah. you totally can. But most people are Don't like, want, yeah. no, thank you. So usually something that digests and that's a little easier to consume, which is where I tend to go more toward like Greek yogurts and smoothies and things like that. Gotcha. And I look for either a one to one ratio of carbohydrate to protein or a two to one ratio of carbohydrate to protein. Okay. What I'm looking for there is you want carbohydrate replenishment so that that fuel tank in your muscle cell gets refilled and so that that muscle cell has the fuel energy it needs to do the repair work it has to do and that that fuel tank is topped off so that you're ready for your next athletic performance, especially if you have to work out twice in one day. Right. Um, but also to making sure that you're getting the proteins so that your body has the building blocks it needs for the recovery. Right. I shy away from things that are too high carbohydrate because it'll shoot your blood sugar up and it can inhibit that process can inhibit some of your recovery. Yeah, I, I know like I have a CSCS, not that that really means oh, anything. Cool. But in, no, it means something. Yeah, in their I book gotcha. in like the National Strength and Conditioning Association's mm -hmm. book, I I thought they said that like the proper protein to carb ratio is like four to one or cro no yeah. carbohydrate to protein is mm -hmm. like four to one. Mm -hmm. So that's like not even close to one, like one to one. Yeah. But yeah. you're saying that that'll elevate your blood sugar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Chocolate milk was kind of a big thing for a while. Cause that's closer to a four to one ratio. Okay. I like to see more of a two to one ratio. Okay. And because yep. it keeps your blood sugar under better control and okay. you still get good carbohydrate and glycogen replenishment from that. And, and we're talking ratios. We're talking about, like the actual grams yes. of carbohydrate and grams of protein, just in case someone listening to this yeah. has no idea like what. Yeah. yeah. So just look on the back of the container of whatever mm -hmm. you're using. Yeah. There's, you know, this is one of those areas of sport nutrition that is evolving and it's the controlled carbohydrate paradigm. Um, it's we, like macros. Yeah. Quote unquote. Yeah. yeah. The macros. And My girlfriend's it, all about it. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. 
Um, so it, it's one of those areas of sport nutrition that's evolving. There's a lot more research going on in this area. There's a lot more um, information coming out. Um, so I, this is, I'm falling more into the camp of cutting back a little bit on the carbohydrate in recovery, not eliminating it, not a low carb, not a no right. carb, but reducing it a little bit. We tend to think in extremes, carbs are good, so we carb load. Right. Carbs are bad, so we go ketogenic. No, the, the healthy is in the gray area. Yeah, okay. It's in between. Right. I know for a while, like paleo was really mm-hmm. popular mm-hmm. in especially the crossover world, mm-hmm. but that's really low carb. Mm-hmm. So it's it's low yeah and like the grains and yeah right so from an athletic performance standpoint it's not necessarily the best option would you agree with that i think some people do great with paleo and i think paleo did a great service in the athletic community and just the world in general because it got people focusing more on consuming whole foods right real food yeah. real food and consuming less processed foods and i think that was, did a, all right. a huge benefit. It got people eating grass-fed beef instead of more industrial-raised meats. Right. And I think that was great. I don't want to like say it was bad because I think it really did a lot of right. good okay. educational benefit. Um, but from there, I have, see, I have some issues as a nutritionist with paleo. I have, an in, I have issues with things that try and take one paradigm and apply it to everybody Every, in general anyway. Right. But they lost me when they cut out the legumes. <laughs> To be honest with oh, okay. you, when they said legumes are bad, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. Peanut butter, really? You're going to take peanut butter away from the athletes? Yeah. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, unfortunately, I can't have peanut butter anymore. I'm, like, somewhat allergic oh, to it. Oh, yeah. And that, it, like, makes my nasal passages, like, swollen. I, okay. like, can't breathe through my nose. I literally had this for, like, 10 years. <laughs> and my doctor one day is like, oh, yeah, I read this study about um, people with asthma stopping or stop eating peanuts or peanut butter mm-hmm. i used to eat like an excessive amount i go through like a jar a week and i have ha- one athlete that goes through uh easily almost a jar a day yeah yeah and like a, a hand- small jar handful of trail mix mm-hmm. and then i stopped eating those for like a week i could breathe perfectly fine through my nose now oh that's awesome what about tree nuts are you good can you do almonds i can test almonds i like i can't tell if uh, it's, maybe it's mental. I don't know. I'm a head case, which is, which is why I'm here, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's the psychologist's job. <laughs> yeah. That's for some later interviews. Yeah. But All right. So what food should athletes never eat? Never eat? I love that question. I love that question because there is not a single food, unless you're allergic, right. or have a terrible physiologic response to consuming the food. I don't like to tell my athletes there's ever a food that you should never eat. So Oreos are good? Okay, now let's reframe that. (laughs) Let's not go black and white again. We're going to deal with the gray area. (laughs) Living in deprivation is absolutely unhealthy, and it creates an unhealthy relationship with food. When I'm working with my athletes, I don't, of course there's perfection. You know, you've got this spectrum. You've got this perfect diet, and if you ate that way, you'd be optimal health. But then do you have a healthy relationship with food? Are you Are you going maybe too far on the spectrum? So I never tell my athletes there's a food they shouldn't eat. But what we do is I'll go through with them, and I call them the misses, like foods that they enjoy consuming, foods that they would miss 
not having. Right. And then I talk with them about what's kind of a healthy portion and how to consume it. So for example, ice cream right now, because it's summertime, everybody's like, oh, I can't live without my ice cream. Like, okay. So if you're craving ice cream, let's totally address that. Where can we put it in your diet? A lot of times, especially with student athletes, what they'll do is like, well, you know, I was really craving ice cream. So I just had ice cream for lunch. I'm like, okay, that's not healthy. Right. So let's build a really strong, healthy foundation. Let's get a really solid, good, healthy lunch and have a reasonable portion of ice cream for dessert so you've got the foundation you've got the foods your body needs you've got the nutrients your body needs but let yourself have some of that ice cream so for you you said oreos oreos are good are oreos good that's a perfect black and white example (laughs) literally Um, literally so are oreos good i'm not going to say oreos are good for you but to have a healthy relationship with food Food, you can't deprive yourself so yeah have an oreo here and there i think that's a good message for yeah for anyone really yeah there's it's not sustainable of course we could try and apply this perfect paradigm but nobody psychologically is going to be able to live in that that really super strict diet paradigm for an extended period of time right you're just not going to be able to do it okay well that being answered Okay. What food should at, should athletes eat every day? Is there anything? That's a great question. Whole healthy proteins. So you're okay. getting all of your essential amino real acids. Food. Real food. Yes. Try and avoid processed foods as much as possible. Um, nice, good, healthy sources of protein. Lots of color on your plate. That's one of the things I like to really encourage my athletes with. And I'm not talking Skittles. Good for Skittles. Instagram pictures, too. <laughs> Skittles don't count for lots of color. You want lots of natural plant-based color. You want the more color you have on your plate, the more micronutrients. You mentioned the macros. Everybody's focused on the macros, the proteins, carbohydrates, fats. Right. But you want to put those protein, carbohydrates, and fats on your plate in a way that also supports a variety of micronutrients. Your vitamins, your minerals, your plant polyphenols, your antioxidants, all those really important nutrients that support your health. Right. It's interesting you say that because I think what people find that they like about this flexible eating macro diet, I guess, mm-hmm. is because they feel like they can eat like anything if it fits into their MyFitnessPal, you mm-hmm. know, chart, uh-huh. you know, throughout the day. But that could be a sleeve of Oreos, as we were talking about, yeah. or it could be ice cream or pretzels or something like all this, Absolutely. you know, processed food. So what you're saying mm-hmm. is to also focus on know the quality of that food absolutely put lots of color on your plate i had one athlete ask me once when i was talking through the um the ratios you know the carbohydrate to protein the one to one so if i eat enough chicken i can have a twinkie i'm like no (laughs) (laughs) okay so we need to take a deeper dive beyond the macros and start building a healthier meal interesting doesn't work with the twinkie (laughs) (laughs) okay so what foods are good for athletes uh not not just athletes but just brain function in general I know we kind of talked about salmon before. I know mm-hmm. omega threes, you know, are a big part of brain health, at least mm-hmm. in the research. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any other foods proteins. that pr- proteins? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So for brain health, you want to look at a few different things. The omega threes are hugely important. Your brain's comprised of fats, and animal-based omega threes are truly the best omega-3s to get for brain health. The other, the plant-based omega-3s have other health benefits. Don't think in an extreme that right. only the, the animal-based are good, the plant are bad. Not the case. They're all good. But for brain health, really, you want the animal-based omega-3s. So the, the fatty fish, the, the salmons, the wild-caught salmons, the tuna, things like that are really beneficial. Amino acids and proteins are important. They're one of the base molecules for 
um, neurotransmitter production. Okay. So making sure you're getting enough um, of your essential amino acids. And is neurotransmitters really are what makes your brain work, I guess. Yes. Right? Yeah. I'll let the, the psychologists explain yeah, all that. Well, maybe yeah. we'll talk about that <laughs> yeah. in a, a later interview. Um, but the, absolutely, the the different um, neurotransmitters that work in your brain. The the base molecule is an amino acid. So having enough protein in your diet is really important. Um, and then the health of your gut. The health of your gut is critically important for the health of your brain. Your, um, if so, getting in probiotics, some fermented foods like some. Um, my kids, I feed my kids like kefir and um, regular fermented pickles all the time. What's kefir? Kefir. Oh, that's one of my favorite things. <laughs> it's like um, it's like a cultured milk product. It's very similar to yogurt, um, it, but it's pourable and drinkable. I picture like really chunky like cottage cheese not like at thing. All. No. Oh my, no, no. I love cottage cheese too, but no, kefir is not oh my gosh, chunky. All right, I'm gonna when I go disgusting. to the grocery store no. <laughs> when I go to the grocery store this weekend I'll uh I'll I'll get some kefir, I guess. Give it a try. I it's will. really good stuff and it's great it's a great recovery drink because it's already either a one to one or a two to one ratio. I'm gonna do it. Okay, so what nutritional interventions do you recommend for athletes who might be feeling depressed um, after a sports career or sidelined by injury? I know this is something that you mm -hmm. specialize in, in terms of nutritional interventions for people dealing with depression mm -hmm. um, or, or things along those lines. Okay, there's, that's kind of like a multi-level thing you've got going on there. Okay. So firstly, if somebody is sidelined by injury, right. they have to eat differently because they're not... Um, they're not competing anymore. They're not as active as they used to be. So they can't be consuming the so same pump the calorie. brakes a little bit. Yeah, yeah, pump the brakes a little bit on the calorie consumption. A lot of times it's periodized nutrition. You need to eat to match your performance and your, your training requirements. And when your training requirements change, your eating needs to change. And I've honestly found that for some athletes, when they can't be focusing so much on the training and the physical part of their athleticism, it's a great time to kind of shift the paradigm a little bit and give their proactive driven minds something else to think about. So let's really take a deeper dive into the nutrition. Let's see, because they can control that. That's right. something that they can pour their energy into and be productive and proactive with. And it's really helpful. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like so. a new game they're playing almost. Exactly. Yeah. Like you've got lots of extra time right Challenges, now. So let's yep. try some new recipes. Let's try some new foods out. Let's try and shift this paradigm around a little bit and um, give you more tools to work with so that when you're back in the game, you're better able to, you've got more tools in your toolbox to go on with. Right. Um, but from there, also making sure, you know, if they start to gain weight and they start to feel uncomfortable in their body, that's going to feed into some of the depressive issues too. So making sure that they're eating healthy to match what their body's requiring of them can help. And then addressing the depression issues. So making sure that... I like to be proactive with my athletes to begin with. Really, the omega-3s are really beneficial in helping with depressive issues. So, But they're a fatty acid. So it takes time for it to get to a level in your body that it can have an so impact on you got to be consistent depression. with those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm really bad you at that. You can't take omega-3s like, and be happy. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I take yeah. fish oils, but not consistently like mm -hmm. i'll take it i took it today but like i didn't take it yesterday like i'm not <laughs> i just forget i'm meeting with a nutritionist today so i'm going to make sure to take <laughs> yeah, fish oil. make sure I'm, yeah, I'm focused yeah <laughs> so it builds up in your system so take you have to take it over a period okay. of time for it to really give you that safety net with the depression um and the next thing too is addressing the health of their gut so if they're they're feeling depressed and they're having those kind of issues making sure that they're getting a good probiotic that their gut health is really on point 
and then also watching their sugar consumption, making sure they're getting. They're I eat because I'm unhappy. Yeah. And I'm unhappy because I eat. Yeah, and yeah. and helping them also to understand that consuming alcohol is going to decrease their recovery, but also increase depressive issues. Okay. So we're going to get into that yeah. also. Okay. I just thought of a, a question as you were you were talking. Mm-hmm. So, do you work with a lot of college athletes? Mm-hmm. So, I could see that being a huge challenge. In that, like you said before, they lack time. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of access to really crappy food mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So, how do you get it in these athletes' heads that like you need to cook for yourself? And mm-hmm. like, how do you help athletes kind of change their lifestyles around to? you know, be able to cook for themselves and yeah. grocery shop and do all that kind of stuff. You know, it's a huge learning curve to go from, you know, being at home and then being away at college. Where they have food for you prepared yeah. always, exactly. every hour of the night. Yeah, exactly. So one of the things that I'd like to do to help my athletes develop skills is work with them in the environment and with the resources that they have. So I go, I like to go to the dining hall, check out the dining hall with them, give them an idea of what would be healthy to choose there, what wouldn't educate them, why one thing's healthier than the other. Um, but I'm not going to lie, you don't get 100% adherence because they're going to do what they're going to do. But again, knowledge is power and athletes appreciate knowledge and how they and helping them perform so I try as best as I can to educate them and also do grocery tours so I'll go through the grocery store with them and help them pick out foods um, that are beneficial that are simple that are easy that are straightforward some kids come to college and they're dependent on the dining hall for their freshman and sophomore year maybe so they need that dining hall education but then they're going to their junior year and they're maybe living in an apartment then they need some more help with like the grocery shopping and the food prep and things like right. that. It's a pretty steep learning curve, but most of them are pretty up for it. Yeah. I mean, if they're focused athletes and they're focused on their sport and performing mm-hmm. optimally, like I would think that they'd be more than willing yeah. to do whatever they can to get that edge. Absolutely. I think the hardest thing though for the for the college level athletes is just the constraints on their time. So trying to take advantage of downtimes during the summer, um, preseason timing to kind of help them come up this learning curve then instead of trying to hit them at the heat of their season to try and change their nutrition and learn right, how to exactly, shop and learn yeah. how to eat their it's focus overwhelming, just isn't yeah. there. It's too much. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Okay. Can we compare what foods endurance athletes should eat versus like power athletes? Mm-hmm. It, like I, I, we're talking about like carbs and protein ratios. Mm-hmm. I know they use like different energy systems for their mm-hmm. sports. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you show us or can you tell us like what, their each shopping cart would kind of look like well there's um the daily nutrition and the baseline nutrition that i work with at, with with my athletes is pretty much the same okay i like to try and keep their protein in there there i like to try and keep their blood sugar under control keep their blood insulin levels under control um what that does for them is on their day-to-day processing operating walking around campus it keeps their body better gives their body better access to stored fats for fuel so that they have the ability um, to conserve some of the carbohydrate in their muscle and in their liver so that when they are competing and they are training, those storage those storages are topped off better. Um, and the way I do that, again, is controlling, helping them to learn how to control their blood sugar okay. and their blood insulin level. So really for a, a, um, a power athlete and an endurance athlete, their daily nutrition is their ratios are pretty near the same. Their recoveries are a little bit different. For a power athlete who 
is more dependent on bursts of energy and more muscle glycogen, I tend to give them a little bit more carbohydrate in their recovery so that they can top off those glycogen stores. Okay. Um, and then endurance athletes, I they get carbohydrate in their recovery, but I don't always um, feel as much of a pressure to push it as much because if they're metabolically efficient and if their body is able to utilize fat stores during their their training and their competition, they have more, um, their, their glycogen is less stressed. Okay. And it's, yeah. It seems like a complicated, uh, it is. We could do a whole podcast on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty involved, but, um, again, I like to keep the ratios around one, one to one, one to one. Okay. Or two to one. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Depending on the athlete. Okay. So what are your thoughts on supplements? So okay. it seems like you're a fan of protein supplements. Mm-hmm. What do you think about creatine? Creatine? Yeah. It's one of the best studied sports ergogenic aids out there. Right. Um, and and improving its, its effectiveness. Yeah. 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 Um, I, if my athlete's comfortable with it, not every athlete is comfortable with taking supplements. A lot of them are, but some aren't. If they're comfortable with it, I do encourage the creatine for in a pre-workout. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the, can you explain what the role of creatine is in performance? Mm-hmm. Um, when you're doing like a, a strength or a power type workout or exercise, the creatine just basically makes more fuel available quicker for your muscle cell. Right. Yeah. It. Um. I don't, I don't know how much in the biochemistry yeah. you ATP really want me. Yeah. yeah. The rephosphorylates the ATP faster, so it can go through the chain quicker and give you energy faster. Right. So. Um, all right, awesome. And what and about? It's not a huge thing. It's not like you're going to take creatine and be like, "Oh my gosh, boom, twice yeah. the workout I did yesterday." <laughs> it gives you a small percentage increase, but for a lot of athletes, that small percentage yeah. is significant. And over time, mm-hmm. it could be yeah significant yeah, as well. Mm-hmm. What we already talked about fish oil and omega threes, but what about uh, multivitamins? I don't take a multivitamin, but mm-hmm. should I be? <laughs> That's a great <laughs> question. Whenever I get asked about supplements, my first response is. Let's deal with your nutrition first. Okay. Okay. Make sure you're getting the multivitamins are going to give you all those micronutrients that I mentioned earlier. Colorful plates. Colorful plates. Making sure you're getting your nutrition from food as much as possible. Our bodies assimilate and utilize nutrients from food way better than we do from supplements. But that being said, athletes put themselves through a little bit more stress physiologically right. than other people do. And I do utilize multivitamins and I do encourage it, especially if I know I have an athlete who's not, you know, super adherent. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Especially like a college athlete, like we were talking about, mm-hmm. like how their days are crazy busy and stuff. Mm-hmm. They might not be able to make their plates that colorful. So Right, right. And then there's some that do have some um, metabolic benefits as well. So getting a good amount of B vitamins and some of the multivitamins will give you some extra B vitamins that can help you through your training. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Uh, Okay. Now, what about, we're going to talk, let's have a conversation about organic food versus Ah. genetically modified food. We kind of touched on this before. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, like, um, what is it? Natural caught fish versus farm raised. Yeah, wild Wild caught. caught. Yeah, that's (laughs) what I meant. Um, so why should athletes be eating this or the general population be eating this versus the, the latter, I guess. Okay. So let's start with organic. Um, usually with my athletes and population that I work with in general, one of the first things I will recommend when the organic question comes up is switch everything that comes from a cow to organic. 
you're going to get a healthier distribution of fats and a reduction. You're not. You're going to get a reduced exposure to hormones that the cows are fed. And but even better, if that cow is wild rate like wild raised, but grass fed, you're going to get a really or a much healthier distribution of fats in the cow. Um, and why is that? Because they're not being fed grain, which is producing a different fat, um, a higher omega-6, a more inflammatory fat in the cow. Okay. And then we're consuming that fat, so we're getting a more inflammatory fat from the cow. Right. If they're left to graze on grass, then they're producing a higher omega-3 content okay. and a less inflammatory fat. So it can be really... And then the cow's also leaner because they're not in a pen just being forced. Right. But they're, they're grazing and they're eating differently. They're eating more how they naturally would eat. So it's just a healthier okay. pro- end product. Um, so that's kind of my first thing. And also anything that is really high fat that comes from a cow because the hormones that the cows are fed are fat-soluble. So if you then consume something that comes from a non-organic cow that's a really high percentage of fat, like You're basically butter, eating the hormones? or Yeah, you're eating a much higher percentage. So um, butter, cheese, things like that, I really encourage. The grass-fed version? Organic. It's hard to find grass. You can find some grass-fed cheese now, but it's it's a little harder to find. Okay. You can find organic though. A lot of times, this stuff is a lot more expensive than mm-hmm. everything else. So especially mm-hmm. if you're on like a college budget, or totally. if your mom's paying for your groceries, if you're like a mm-hmm. high school athlete, mm-hmm. is there a, is there a way around this? Or I just, just say prioritize. Right. You don't have to do everything organic, and you and honestly, if it's going to be a choice between non-organic beef and consuming a a frozen TV dinner, I would say have the non-organic beef. It's going to be healthier for you than a frozen processed meal. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I, I, my stomach turns just thinking about a frozen <laughs> so dinner meal. One of the really important things is trying not to work in these extreme ideas. Organic is good, non-organic is bad. Meeting an athlete and a person where they're at and with what they have accessible to them and doing everything that I can to improve on that is what I try and do because not everybody can afford to eat organic. So, okay, let's take a look at what you can do and clean it up as much as possible. Another great resource that's out there is the Environmental Working Group. EWG. I'll I'll link that up in the show notes, EWG. Yep. Um, They put out a, um, a produce list every year of, and they call it the clean 15 and the dirty dozen. So those are the, the produce that have the highest pesticide residue. Okay. Okay. And, um, the ones that have the lowest pesticide residues. I highly encourage my clients to utilize that. You don't need to buy everything organic because not everything has a high residue. Not everything is something that is going to be detrimental to us, but I've talked a couple of times about the health of your gut and how that plays into depression and mental and just your overall, even your immune health. Right. So consuming foods that have high pesticide residue disrupts the microbiome. It disrupts the bacteria that are in your gut, which then can lead to other mood disorders and health issues. So there is definitely a benefit to reducing our exposure to the pesticides, but does that mean everything has to be right. organic? No. no. But if you can... Or, you know, if I have a, a client who comes in and they can't afford to buy organic produce, so that, now they're avoiding the produce. I'm like, okay, no, that's not healthy either. So yeah. let's just find the right balance here. Exactly. That's yeah. like the, the theme of this episode, I think, is balance. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about finding the right balance for the athlete. And then you asked about GMOs. Yes. Okay. So genetically modified. Some of the stuff I'm concerned with, other stuff not so much. I mean, the idea of genetic modification has been going on for centuries right it's just been cross-pollination and splice you know putting plants together but 
now they're engineering pesticides into the foods. And that to me is a concern. I get really concerned with the glyphosate levels in some foods and what that's doing to the microbiome. The gut microbiome is a rapidly emerging area of health study and nutrition study and disease study and medical study. And we don't fully understand everything yet, but we are noticing more and more and more a really intricate tie between the benefit, the healthy bacteria balance in your gut and your overall health. So consuming things that can disrupt that balance, I definitely try and shy right. away from. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Now that kind of leads into the whole gluten Mm-hmm. topic so oh, i love this topic is should athletes be eating gluten or staying away from gluten or is oh, there a difference between the organic gluten or <laughs> like what are your thoughts on it my girlfriend is sensitive to gluten and mm-hmm. she doesn't really eat it at all mm-hmm. so she shouldn't yeah i eat it all the time it doesn't really have an effect on me so you should all right <laughs> <It's pretty laughs> okay simple. so there's here's the thing um I don't even, I don't think we've even really reached a consensus yet, except for in celiac patient, patients, right. that gluten's the problem. But there is something going on with wheat-based products. I don't, I would love to fast forward 20 years from now and see where the research is landing. Is it the engineering of the gluten? Is it the larger gluten molecule that's causing digestive and GI inflammation and problems and issues? Or is it the crops being treated with the pesticides and the glyphosate chemicals to dry them out before they're produced that's causing the problems? Right. I don't think we really know yet. So as a clinician and as a practitioner, if I have an athlete who's coming to me who exhibits maybe some potential symptoms like the GI distress or bloating or difficulty with... Um, um, just an irritable bowel diagnosis, then it's one of the things I have on my radar screen. You okay. know, we start, we play around with it and we see not everybody needs to stop eating it, but I have seen benefit in some people who are tested negative for sensitivity and tested negative for celiac, but they still, their overall health and digestive health improved right. when you eliminated the wheat-based products. So I don't think, I don't think we have answers yet, but it's something to play around with. And it's not something I would think in an extreme either, because People who need to avoid gluten should be avoiding gluten. But it's been given this false healthy halo. that Right, it's like a marketing tool mm-hmm, now. Yeah, It is, absolutely. That gluten-free is healthy. Well, a lot of the replacement products for the gluten-free foods, the gluten-free pastas, the gluten-free cookies, they're not any healthier than right. the foods that had gluten in it just because they're gluten-free. They're still yeah, they're refined. Healthy, they're still yeah. processed. They're still high-carbohydrate. For somebody who sincerely needs to avoid gluten, it's it's a good product to have. Right. But it's not something that everybody in the general population, that, oh, I'm eating gluten-free, so now I'm eating a whole bunch of white rice pasta. I'm right. super healthy. It, no, not really. Not quite. Not quite, yeah. All right. Um, so what about, we mentioned this before too, uh, alcohol. Mm-hmm. And athletes. So, mm-hmm. can you talk about its effect on performance and also recovery from injury? Okay, its effect on performance. Um, well, <laughs> consuming alcohol will definitely decrease performance. It's going to dehydrate you for a little bit. It's going to decrease your production of human growth hormone. So that also kind of plays into recovery. Okay. So if you're working out and then you consume enough alcohol to kind of get a little buzzed. buzzed. Yeah. Okay. It's then, not even just like stumbling and puking. It's just, you just get a little buzz Well, the buzz more going. you drink, the worse it gets. Okay. But uh, your liver can detoxify enough. You can detoxify some alcohol. 
there's a byproduct to that that can inhibit some of your recovery, the aldehydes that are produced. So the more you drink, the more aldehydes are produced, the more it can kind of mess up your recovery. But um, it can detoxify a certain amount. So a little bit isn't as bad as a binge drinking. So right. binge drinking, you're really going to deto- you're really going to dehydrate yourself. You're going to decrease your body's available stores of B vitamins as well, which athletes need. And then you're also going to perform less effectively on the field because you're going to be a little bit more clumsy. You're going to be a little bit less mentally focused. Right. Your nervous system isn't going to be as on point. It takes a few days to work through that. Yeah. I can remember just sometimes where like I drank a lot one night and then the next day I'm like walking around like bumping into walls and stuff. I'm like, are you kidding me, dude? Like pull it together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's not all just in your head. Physiologically, your body's just not as on point. Right. And athletes, this is one of the things that when I work with student athletes that I really try and drive home. I mean, you're, you're a student athlete. College athletes are going to do what college athletes right. do and they're going to drink. But you're also, they're in the gym. They're working so hard to achieve a goal. Mm-hmm. And I would hate for them to be doing something recreationally that unbeknownst to them is continually undermining their ability to really reach their goal. Right. You're putting in so much time and energy and effort into reaching that goal. And I just want my athletes to get theirs, to get their peak. So I try and encourage them to reduce the alcohol consumption as much as, as much as possible, especially during competition season. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was never a big drinker when I was, in high school, I never drank at all in high school, mm. but once I didn't have sports anymore because of my head injury, mm. I was kind of like, eh, I'll just like go out and have fun just to like be a part of the crowd. Mm-hmm. But from like a depression standpoint, I feel like it made me feel worse. Mm-hmm. Like the next day, it wasn't even just like the drinking. I wasn't, it was all fun and games when I was drinking, but then like even the next day or days after, I just like didn't feel good, like mentally and emotionally. Mm-hmm. It absolutely can increase. I, I believe, you'd have to double check with the psychologist on this one, but I believe it decreases serotonin production, and that's a feel-good chemical. So if you're consuming too much alcohol, you it, it's a depressant. Right. It, it can incre- encourage depression, and if you're dealing with a head injury, that's a, just a double whammy. Yeah. Yep. Drinking Bad news. With a, yeah, yeah, that's a double whammy. You don't well, I wasn't drinking with a head injury. It was years <laughs> after a head <laughs> okay. injury. But. Okay, so it's like, wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you were really stupid. Yeah. Re- well, and then your body responds differently to the alcohol when you're yeah. recovering from a head injury. So, yeah, yeah concussions I, and alcohol don't go super awesome together. Yeah, now I just stay away from it completely. Um, <laughs> okay, so what were your recommendations for athletes recovering from injury and post-career like if for in terms of drinking alcohol is it it's still same thing like a little bit is obviously you know better than a, a binge drinking but yeah a little bit's definitely better than a binge drinking so if i have an athlete who's recovering from injury and wants to get back out so they're in a recovery process they've not retired then i really try and encourage them to abstain as much as possible because it, the alcohol consumption can inhibit the recovery process. And also when you're dealing with an athlete who's come off of their training, they're more likely to have depression problems right. because of the drop in serotonin. So then consuming alcohol on top of it is just, again, it's making a it double worse, whammy. Yeah. It's making it worse. So their ability to mentally recover and physically recover is, is hampered. Message is basically... Don't drink alcohol if you're an athlete. <laughs> Definitely keep it to like, if you're out with friends and it's a social thing and you right. don't, you know, you want to be careful not to super deprive also and have those pressures, but definitely keep it to really light, moderate consumption. Right. All right. We're starting to wrap it up here. This is my last question before my usual 
bout of last questions. Uh-oh. Um, so what's, we kind of, it's a good transition though too. Okay. So what's hydration's role in terms of performance and recovery? Hydration's role. Oh, you know what? I think when you talk to athletes, they, they, they've got hydration on their mind. Always, They yeah. do, they, they do. But did you know that that is the predominant issue in sport nutrition is dehydration, is that most athletes have most, the more their performance issues come from dehydration. So even though we know it and we think about it, right. they're not hydrating still. A lot of athletes are just not hydrating right. So it definitely will decrease your performance. You're going to decrease your uh, mental focus, your agility, your fine motor skills. So if you're doing a lot of plyometrics and things like that in your training, right. or if you have a, a sport that requires a lot of um, quick motion change, your ability to react quickly decreases when you're dehydrated. Right. But then if you go beyond that, your body's ability to thermoregulate and to keep your temperature under control decreases when you're dehydrated so you're going to get overheated faster right which that can have a whole other cascade heat into stroke heat and stuff, stroke yeah. into organ failure and all kinds of other issues so staying hydrated is really important i think where athletes fall off the wagon and where they get have a problem is they always tend to think oh i've got practice in an hour i'm going to slam some water yeah chug a bunch of water hydration is one of those things you need to stay on top of consistently you need to stay consistently hydrated it's not just right before practice right because your body stores water and you want to make sure that those water stores are optimal before you compete or train. Is there like a certain amount of ounces like that athletes are supposed to drink or? You just, you know what? Honestly, the best way to tell whether or not you're hydrated because everybody's kidney function is different. Everybody's electrolyte loss and sweat is right. different is your urine. Is Look at your pee. It should be like pale lemonade. Okay. If you've taken. Um, not clear. <laughs> Clear-ish is okay. But I, I do get concerned with some athletes. They overhydrate and then they get yeah. issues with that but i used to have these like super bad cramping issues when mm-hmm. i was playing football in high school to the point where like my whole lower half like every muscle in my legs both mm. my legs would cramp up every single game that sounds awesome and i couldn't figure out what the issue was like i was Painful. drinking constantly like throughout the day all week it wasn't just like the mm-hmm. day of the game mm-hmm. and i was like oh well, I'm, I'm peeing clear like i, I should be fine right but I don't know. I never really did figure it out. So you probably overhydrated and lost too much electrolyte. All right. Yep. That could be it. Yep. Uh, and <laughs> what are your thoughts on Gatorade versus water? I think they're two totally different things. Um, water, daily nutrition, daily habit, super important. Stay consistently hydrated. Um, Gatorade, in terms of an electrolyte. Uh, I'd rather just address electrolyte replacements. To be honest with you, I'm not super fond of Gatorade because of the high sugar content. Okay. You do need some carbohydrate in your electrolyte replenishment in order for your body to efficiently absorb um, and transport the electrolytes across your gut and into your bloodstream. But Gatorade is a little too high sugar. What would you suggest instead? Um, I give, I like my athletes to use, um, I recommend Osmo, Osmo Nutrition. I'll write that down. That'll be in the show notes. Okay. (laughs) Um, and then I also like none, none tablets. Oh, noons. I yeah, call them noons, but I yeah, have. we Maybe have Maybe that's too. a Catholic school girl in me calling nuns, them nuns. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Osmo and noons, nuns, yep. whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Can, and they have a little bit of carbohydrate, and they've got the broad spectrum of all the electrolytes. So you're getting your sodium, your potassium, magnesium, and calcium, not just sodium and potassium. Right. I could speak to the noons because they taste really good, actually, and they almost have mm-hmm. like a carbonated type mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. to them. So yep. they just got down nice and smooth, yeah. almost too smooth because I like want to pop into my water every single time I 
have something, but. <laughs> yeah. So if you came to me as an athlete telling me about those cramps when you were competing, I would definitely be addressing the electrolytes. Okay. Yep. I know that's a common thing for a lot of athletes. It is, honestly. And a lot of athletes I find, too, when they clean up their diets, and I had a lot of people go through this when they went through paleo, they shifted from consuming these highly processed foods to these really, really clean foods, and all of a sudden they were cramping. Right. And the first thing a lot of athletes will think of and a lot of people think of when they think of cramps is they think potassium. Oh, I'm not getting enough potassium. I'm not getting enough potassium. But it's a ratio, and it's a balance between potassium and sodium. And I found that sometimes people, when they clean up their diets, they cramp because they're not getting as much sodium, sodium yeah mm-hmm. it's interesting especially athletes when they're sweating and losing more yeah all right all right here's some fun questions okay. um if you could only have one meal or dish for the rest of your life what would that one meal or dish be in terms of like oh healthy gosh. options that would be sustainable and would be good for performance and you know not like a treat food that no I not eat. a treat no that's coming next that's coming next <laughs> You know what? I am, and I I actually really am glad that this is the one that popped into my mind. I would go with like a nice filet and roasted asparagus. Okay. I love a good steak and I love um, asparagus. No like blue cheese on that or like uh, horseradish sauce? Maybe wrapped in bacon. Oh, bacon. Okay. Bacon fan. Maybe wrapped in bacon. Oh, yeah. Um, But part of the reason... I would love to, I'm glad that that popped into my mind, is because of the iron and demystifying the unhealthy label that red meat has been given, especially for female athletes. They need to be consuming nutrient-dense iron sources from animal sources. We need to be making sure we're getting enough iron. We cycle through it a lot faster, and we need it for athletic performance. Awesome. Okay, so now, if you were on death row, what would you choose as your last supper? As my last supper? Yeah. My mom's homemade macaroni and cheese. Oh, that sounds awesome. (laughs) It it is awesome. (laughs) It is. I would totally go for that. All right, cool. Maybe throw, now that I'm grown up a little bit and not eating only like, you know, kid food, maybe throw a little crab or lobster in that too. Oh, all right, that's classy. (laughs) Okay. I got this uh, question from uh, another podcast. This guy's name is Lewis House, but I think it's an awesome question, so I use it all the time. Uh, if you had to tattoo one word or phrase backwards on your forehead so that you had to look at it in the mirror every single day, mm-hmm. uh, what would that phrase be? You know, it, maybe it's all the Dory movie stuff that's out right now, and maybe it's my history as a swimmer and what that training did for me physically and mentally, but honestly, just keep swimming. All right. Just keep swimming. You know, keep persevering. Life gets hard sometimes, but if you let yourself get stuck in that moment, you're going to get stuck. Right. Just keep, keep swimming. swimming. I like just it. Just keep swimming. Okay, last question. What's your personal definition of perseverance? Just keep swimming. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. <laughs> perseverance, you know, again, every one of us, we're faced with trials in life. And we have things that we have to learn to push through. And I think that when a, you push through those things, you become stronger, but there's a better si- better you on the other side of that. Right. So persevering through, learning the lessons that you need to learn through your struggle and getting to the other side and seeing what's in store for you on the other side of that struggle, that to me is but perseverance. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Aaron, thank you very much for sharing your knowledge thank on the you. podcast. And if you, if any of the listeners out there live in the Bethlehem area in, in uh, Pennsylvania, definitely go out and make an appointment with Aaron at Mind of the Athlete. Yep, that'd be a pleasure. Thank you so much. No problem. Thanks, Aaron.